This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, teaching minister Tim Peace will be teaching the message. My name is Tim Peace, and I'm the teaching minister here at Mount Carmel. And uh, we are in week two of our message series called Wise Up. And we are taking a long trek through the letter of James in our New Testaments. And uh, if you are here last week, we got to talk about James 1.1. And we talked about the way that James upends or reverses what would have normally been uh, a negative way of introducing himself and turns it into a positive, calling himself a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we're going to go into uh, verses 2 through 4. Uh, but I want to start out by... Uh, saying something, um, I am kind of a cynical person. If any of you know me, that's not a shock to you. Uh, I don't love the power of positivity at all. In fact, I've often threatened to get like, you ever see those like images with like the positive sayings under them you can buy at like, you know, office places? I've thought about finding ones with really sarcastic remarks and placing them throughout the house, or maybe my office, or maybe pranking a fellow staff person with one. I don't, I don't know, but um, I just, for whatever reason, I, I, I'm being fair to everyone else around me and calling myself cynical. I just consider myself a realist. Sometimes life is way up, and sometimes it's way down, and that's the way things are. And so I tell you that because I ran across a quote by an author by the name of Sven Brinkman, and he is a Danish guy, and this is what he says. He says, if you think positively every single day, work hard, strive to become the best version of yourself, surround yourself with inspirational people, and never give up, there are no limits to how exhausted you can become. Isn't that encouraging? I love it. You know, I think it's an interesting thing because in our, in our world, we have this tendency to uh, hear or even search out things that will, will lift us up. Uh, a, nice, a nice quote, uh, uh, some sort of thing that will, will lift our spirits. And the reality is life gets rough sometimes. And we've been in a season collectively where life has been rough. And not only has it been collectively rough for the obvious reasons, there's a pandemic, and uh, we're in a political season, and um, there's just all sorts of social upheaval going on, but, but, but burying on top of those collective realities that we have, I know friends and family in this room that have had a rough go, whether it's been illnesses, death, job loss. I've heard it. We see it on prayer requests. My home has not been unscathed. Let me tell you how my pandemic life went. About a week before the pandemic, I was awakened at 4.30 in the morning to my wife having a seizure. Then she couldn't drive for a little while because they wouldn't let her because of that whole seizure rule thing. That wasn't fun. Uh, the waking up at 4.30 in the morning, that wasn't fun either. Um, then a week after that, we had a stay-home order, and no one could go out of their houses. And then uh, about a month and a half into that, my wife lost her job. 
And so then we were dealing with not only the, you know, the typical fallout that comes with that, whether it's, you know, figuring out, you know, all the financial and job perspective things, but more than anything, the emotional and mental fallout of that. I have to confess to you, um, this is something that happens to millions of people, and I knew it wasn't good, but it's one of those weird things where because everyone has to always be on the hunt, you never get to see the turmoil it causes until it happens up close. And so you go through these things that I know so many have gone through, and it makes you realize that life gets really challenging. It doesn't let up all the time when we would like it to. That's why 2020 has become everyone's favorite internet meme. Oh, it's 2020 again, strikes again, whatever it is. So here's, here's the reason. I, I'm, I can tell I really got you down this morning. I'm going to take you just a little bit further, and then we're going to go back up on, the, on the up and up here. Now, here's the deal. The reason that I don't love the, the power of positivity stuff is also because the tendency is, A, that we don't get the opportunity to actually feel in the moment. Sometimes it's okay to acknowledge when things aren't going well. It doesn't make you a shameful person if you do. No one should ever tell you, hey, sorry about your luck. Go ahead and turn that frown upside down. It's not life. But the other reason that I don't really love this power of positivity thing is, is because it not only isn't scriptural, it tends to be something that we read into scripture and we misquote, misuse, and misunderstand a lot of scripture passages. I have like a rolling top 10 uh, Bible verses that people misquote and miscontextualize going. <laughs> and one of them we're going to talk about this morning. Because you don't get very far into the letter of James before you run into one. And so I want you to read along with me in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Again, as a reminder, if you weren't here, James is the author of this letter. He is the half-brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the church at Jerusalem in the book of Acts. But more importantly for our purposes and his purposes in writing the letter, he introduces himself as a slave of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's with that introduction that he jumps in to the meat of his letter. And this is what he writes. He says, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, this is one of those passages that gets, like I said, misused, misunderstood. And I think one of the reasons is because we have a tendency, at least those that quote this verse, to stop reading at the part where it says, consider it nothing but joy. We miss the comma, apparently, and we close our book, and we say, oh, there it is. Everyone, having a rough go? We'll put on a smile. Consider it joy. It's not that bad. Scripture says don't be upset. Well, I'm going to ruin it for anyone in the room that's ever done that before. That is not what's being said here. 
Because actually the object of our joy is not necessarily in the trials. He specifically says to consider the trials nothing but joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, have any of you ever taken a test before? Anyone in the room? Yeah. We've been through school, we've taken a test. Were those easy? No. The very nature of a test itself is not easy. So, number one, this passage acknowledges that trials that we face in life are not easy, they're not simple, they're not positive, they're not fun. It's also interesting here, too, because this word here, this idea of of testing, the connotation, you know, we have this word test in English, but, but what's really going on here is James is saying that the way that you handle a trial in life ends up being a proof of one's faith being lived out. It is literally a test of faith. How will you handle life whenever circumstances happen? And notice it doesn't say if, it says whenever you face trials. And as we've already stated in the room, and I'm sure if any one of you got up here right now and and we switched spots, you'd be able to tell me a similar story that I told you about what was going on in my own home during the last few months. I guarantee it. I know your stories. I talk to you. I hear it. So none of us get out of life unscathed in this way. And Scripture acknowledges that. Whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, what is the purpose of endurance? What is the purpose of this idea of enduring or being resilient? Why do we want to endure? Well, James says that endurance will have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, here's a goal for us. So endurance isn't even the end goal. Endurance leads to what? It leads us toward completion and maturity. Now, we've often heard this, this, this word mature, and again, it's one of those things where in English translation, we, we kind of get the sense loss in translation. Because the reality is, is that when we think about mature, we think about someone growing up, they get older, and with age comes uh, experience, and with experience comes wisdom. And that's not necessarily what we're talking about here with this word maturity. In fact, this word maturity should scare us a lot. <laughs> because there's a passage in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is teaching, he's, he's teaching a group of people, and at the end of chapter five, he caps off his, his, this chapter with not only a difficult saying that, that's hard for most of us to stomach, but he ends that difficult saying with something even more audacious. And I want you to hear what Jesus says here, because it's really crazy how this connects to what James has just said in our passage today. So follow with me in Matthew 5, Starting at verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, that's easy. Oh, but I say to you, love your enemies 
and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect. Catch this. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, now, first of all, love your enemies. I mean, if Jesus were here today, Jesus wouldn't have used the same examples here. You know, he talks about, uh, do not even the tax collectors do the same? He'd have picked out whichever group of people we don't like, and he would have fit them in with tax collectors. Because back in that time, tax collectors weren't real friendly to the Jewish people. They were kind of thieving. They'd overstep their boundaries. They'd take more than their fair share. And Jesus is saying to love your enemies because to love the people that love you already is already easy. Even your most sworn enemy in life is good at doing that. And again, he brings up the Gentiles. He says, do not the Gentiles do the same. Yeah, you, you, uh, you Jewish people, you people of God that are around here listening to my words, the, the wicked world around you that you don't like, yeah, even they are good at doing this. So go beyond it. Love your enemies, Jesus says. That already is hard enough. And if you don't think that, just like live in this world right now in our present moment. Like, you can't have a conversation with someone outside of how's the weather without disagreeing and turning everything into a shouting match about anything. And yet, that's not the hardest thing Jesus says here. Jesus says, be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is. I've often heard it said, uh, in any time we get into discussions about morality and integrity, people will always be like, well, 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 I'm not Jesus. You ever heard that one before? It's not like I'm Jesus. Just let me off the hook, man. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. He literally says, be perfect as who? God, your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, here is the fun part. The word, Jesus, the word that Jesus uses here in the Greek text is teleos. It means to reach the highest standard. The highest standard. That's what Jesus uses here for the word perfect. Well, would you just love to know that when James says to be mature, that James uses the word teleos? Isn't it a shocker? The New Testament's always quite consistent. And it never lets up. The goal of faith is holiness. The perfection God has in mind for us. It is for God to work in us to make what is broken working again. The goal of faith is not to get to heaven. Heaven is the reward for the end of a faithful life. The goal of faith, the goal of the Christian life, 
is that the one perfect person laid down his life so that we could have life and so that in our life, through the Holy Spirit, God could work us toward maturity, completion, no, perfection. And that is why James says to consider it nothing but joy when you face trials. Because what happens when we face trials in life? When we face trials, our faith, the work of our lives that produces the endurance that leads to the perfection that both Jesus and his half-brother James calls us to can be done. So, here's a crazy thing. You guys probably know I'm a perpetual student. I talk about it way too much. I am the, the, the world's, like, slowest PhD dissertation writer ever. Ever. I don't know if anyone, I actually am going for the Guinness World Record. Um, and I think I might, I think I might do it. So, and I'll tell you why I, I've honestly been, been so slow at it. I, I'm one of the, I'm, well, number one, I'm a procrastinator and I'm a perfectionist, so that's part of the problem right there. But there's an underlying issue, and that is that um, I, I am constantly in my head and I'm an anxious person, and I don't like loose ends in life. And I definitely don't like things that I can't control. And when those sort of things show up in life, they have a tendency, or I have a tendency, to allow them to derail my progress at anything. And what I'll also tend to do is I'm one of those people that will find easy tasks to do so that I feel like I'm accomplishing something rather than working on the more challenging task. And so I'm one of those, those types that can get really good work done for about a month, and then I can stop working for a month, and then I can start back up again, and so on and so forth. So you wouldn't probably be shocked to find that I don't handle the trials of life all that well. That's why I find this passage from James to be so convicting. I'm just like the rest of you, maybe worse. I don't like when hardship comes. I don't know that anybody does, but I don't always do well with it. I'm always trying to fix it. I'm always trying to control it. I'm always trying to get through it before I'll go on and work further. And so an interesting thing happened. So when the pandemic stuff started to happen, a lot of the stuff that my school, my, the university I'm a part of, which is in the Netherlands, started offering was online now. And they created what was called a PhD buddy system. That's right, I'm so bad at getting my work done that I signed up for a buddy system. <laughs> I have no shame, I'll admit it. And so I, I, I signed up for this thing, and basically what it is is it started out uh, with a weekly meeting. Now it's like a once-a-month check-in, and um, they, they connect you with someone that's in their university counseling department but that specializes in helping PhD students. Now, admittedly, not to take some of the blame off me, but apparently being an international PhD student comes with distractions, and I'm not the only one in this particular kind of scenario. And so they rolled the system out, and I got in contact and I started meeting with um, this person online. Um, you know, now I do once a month. And 
One of the things that uh, she told me to do was she told me to get this book uh, that is all about how to, at a good pace, finish a chapter on and on. And so I was working through this workbook, and they mentioned another book that was a writing productivity book. So I'm reading that one, and I read a chapter that talks about, the chapter was titled something like, When Hardships Happen. (laughs) And the whole point of the chapter was, you will not escape hardship, but that is no excuse to not keep working on your project. And this, this thing, they started telling horrible stories that these people that were working on their dissertations had to go through and still continue working. I, this is no joke. I'm reading this chapter, and I immediately think to myself, uh-oh, what's about to happen? This is no joke. That was a Tuesday when I read that chapter. That Friday was the day my wife lost her job. I have, with the support system I've created, not on my own volition, I have, with support, turned in two completely revised chapters of my dissertation since this whole thing happened, and I'm about to turn in a third one in like a week. I will be done with this thing by the end of the year. And I don't say that uh, to say, look at me, I do the thing in James right, no one else does. No, I don't. But here's what I learned. I learned that instead of trying to fix everything, trying to take control of everything and expecting everything to be clean and tidy and nice and neat, that is no way to actually endure and move forward and grow in life. That's not what Scripture teaches, and that's just not the reality of life. So when I read this passage in James, I've got one phrase that came to mind. It just popped in my head one day. I ran into my buddy A.A. Ron's office, and I was like, hey, what do you think about this line? He gave me a thumbs up, and then he's like, get out. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. Uh, This is what it is. Embrace the hardship to stay on target. If there's one thing I want you to learn from this passage, it's embrace the hardship to stay on target. The target of our faith is what the perfection that God desires and that God is moving us toward. That is the goal of our faith. And hardship will come. And for all of us, it's already hit this year in waves. But here's the beauty of Scripture and more than Scripture of the God that we love. God doesn't abandon us. He is the nudge in our back to keep us going through the Spirit. God is like our life buddy system. Well, he's greater than that, but for purposes of using cheesy terminology, he's like our buddy system. You cannot reach the perfection that Scripture calls you to on your own. Number one, the hardships of life will derail you without the power of God in your life. And number two, none of us are perfect. That was what was so great about the Sermon on the Mount. 
When Jesus teaches all this stuff in, in the Gospel of Matthew and tells people things like, love your enemies and be perfect, at one point, when he's dealing with the issue of lust, he doesn't just tell people not to commit adultery. He says, watch what your eyes are even looking at. I mean, he gets underneath the skin of every person and finds every little crack in the foundation and calls it out. Why? Not so that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and fix it yourself, but because you will then realize that you, on your own and of your own volition, are incapable of fixing the problem yourself. And that's why I want to end by connecting what we learned last week to this week. James has a pretty lofty expectation. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials because the trial and the testing of your faith will produce endurance and endurance will lead to maturity and completion. But what does James call himself? A slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James is not in charge of his own life. No matter what level of stature, no matter what acclaim he's come up with, James is subservient to the Lord Jesus. He's given his life over to the supreme person, the authority of authorities, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one, by the way, that is perfect, that has reached the highest standard. And by giving his life over to Jesus, James is on the path toward the maturity and completion he calls us to. And so in this season, the beauty of Scripture is it doesn't pull punches when it comes to telling people what the goal of life is. But we are also not left alone to get to that goal. Instead, it encourages us. You see, this, this idea, this reality that we face hardships, according to James, it's not it's not a Debbie Downer sort of moment. This is an encouragement. It's an encouragement to realize that your struggles in life are not in vain. They're not the end of the story. They are a means to a greater end, a much, much greater end. I can't tell you why things happen the way they happen but I can promise you this. Scripture's not concerned with telling us why struggles happen. It's concerned with encouraging us to live in faith whenever they do. Embrace the hardship to stay on target, especially, especially in this season. Please pray with me. God, I thank you for being so good to us. I thank you for, I thank you for the fact that um, you not only, uh, through your spirit, um, give us a helper, an advocate, an encourager to wade through the difficulties of life, but that you also give us one another, God. Because as we consider the, the difficulties we're facing right now, we're dealing with them shoulder to shoulder. And so God, 
I pray in this season, one, that we will embrace the hardship of life and, and see our faith through with your help. I pray, God, that we won't misuse your word uh, to shame each other, but instead to lift each other up, to recognize that we're all, as believers and followers of your son, Jesus, going toward the same target. And I pray, God, that you will help us to get their shoulders shoulder together. And all the more, God, I pray that you will help us to get there together despite a world that we live in that seems to want to do nothing but tear people apart. Your son Jesus prayed for his church uh, that they would not only love one another, but that the world would know that we were Christians by our love for one another and by our unity. And so God, I pray that in this season that we will come together to lean on each other in our hardship, but they will build bigger bonds of faith in that our common faith is in you. We love you and it's in your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.